Coffee largely has been built on colonial economies and on enslaved labor. The only way to move it out of that is pay people for their work and pay them for the labor that goes into making a better cup of coffee. For us as consumers, it really comes down to pennies a cup. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and you're listening to Coffee 101, your one-stop coffee education show. Every week, I'm joined by coffee friends, and we teach you everything from cupping to brew ratios, why some coffees cost more than others, to the pour-over technique that is best for you. Ever heard of specialty coffee? Of course you have. How could you possibly miss it these days? It's two words that have become ubiquitous with, well, good coffee. But what does specialty coffee really mean? Today on the show, I'm joined by my good friend, John Lawrence, owner of Mudhouse Coffee Roasters out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And we're going to be getting down to the nitty gritty and answering that simple yet complex question. What is specialty coffee? John, good to see you. Oh, thanks for having me, Kenneth. Look forward to being here. <laughs> We're going to start out with the simple question. What is specialty coffee? And I'm going to let my friend John start, and we'll just have a little conversation. That's a great question, and you and I were talking earlier about it, and uh I think uh, my idea of it hues pretty closely to the Specialty Coffee Association's ideas of it, that it's uh, sustainably produced, both ecologically and in, uh, socially, and that it's uh, just a superior cup quality with, uh, without any defects. Even before we jump into that, I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to say for our listeners out there, our 101ers out there, Especially coffee, the term itself has been around since 1974. We'll link it in the show notes, but if you listen to the coffee history episode that we did, Erna Knutson, she coined specialty coffee in an issue of Tea and Coffee Trade Journal back in 1974, and the term was born. And as John said just a second ago, it really is a focus, if I had to kind of I guess simplify it myself is I'd say it's a focus cup quality and then quality for everybody in the system. Correct. That's, that's exactly right. And from the first time Linnell and I, my wife Linnell and I went to a specialty coffee association conference, that has always been the theme that, that we've heard from the beginning is that it's a sustainable sustainably produced product and that we all have a responsibility to that. And, you know, I think about the founders of the SCAA, Paul Katzif, John Schoenholt, Tim Castle, among others, that's just a animating force for them. That's what drove them to, to start it. And I'm really grateful for, to them for doing that. Yep, I am too. And I'm, I'm grateful because we get to taste good coffee which, of course, I love and, and all of you 101ers out there love. And, you know, when you think about it, we're talking about a good cup quality, and we're talking about a sustainability and a good quality of life 
for everybody in the system. And that's talking about the farmer and it's talking about the miller and the exporter and the importer and the roaster and the barista. And another thing that I think, and I'd be curious to hear what you have to say, John, is that I think specialty coffee also is about those particular people for their part in bringing the coffee forth, bringing their best, right, in in what they do. Absolutely. There's a lot of pride you see in people who are in specialty coffee. Uh, you know, when a barista's up there, when they're when they're just making drinks or if they're in a Brewer's Cup competition, um, there's a lot of pride with the effort that we put into uh, developing our skills so that we present in the cafe this beautiful work of art that uh, somebody thousands of miles away started. So, and then and then you think about people who are producing these coffees and talking with them. If you're doing specialty coffee at origin, you're producing, you're farming it. Um, it's a lot more effort, a lot more labor, a lot more handwork uh, and investment than it is with commercial grade coffee so it's it's an investment of of effort and your thought uh, finances and everything and and that brings up a good point it can be a challenge i think to and you know better than i do on this to convince a farmer to put more work in and say trust me you'll get more money basically which is sustainable living for him or her on the back end. And so through Mudhouse Coffee Roasters, how many years ago was it y'all purchased a farm and started a coffee farm in Panama, am I correct? We did. We partnered with Willem Boot and Kelly Hartman and uh, started a farm. We bought some land on the Volcan Baru um, that's, just across this river from Willem's other farm, Finca Lamula, and the Lamastis Estates, El Burro. Uh, they're our direct neighbors. So, um, yeah, we, we planted 25,000 trees, um, 20,000 geisha, and uh, 2,500 each of these uh, other kind of experimental varieties. Let me just say that, like, as he was saying that, I'm just sitting here giddy and, and smiling because I'm, I'm really looking forward at some point to tasting some of these, particularly the geshas that are coming out of this farm in Panama, because I know John, I know his wife, I know the care they put into the coffee shop, into roasting, and I know now what they'll put into the farm. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about specialty coffee. It is everybody on every level bringing their best and I think that even it extends, if I can be as bold as to say it, to the consumer uh, in doing their best with what they've been given. And that's where a podcast like this or any kind of educational thing comes in as far as figuring out how can you get the best out of that bean? Because everybody in the process up to that point hopefully has thought the same thing another technical point if we want to get geeky about this is specialty coffee by definition when we're looking at what we call green grading 
which is grading the green coffee when it comes in, should have zero primary defects. And you're thinking, what the heck does that mean? It means no full blacks, no full sours, no foreign objects. Now, you're just going to have to trust us roasters that full blacks and full sours are things that we would look for, things that your green coffee graders, uh, which sometimes are your importers, depending on who's part of that chain, are looking for, as well as no foreign objects. You'd be surprised. Uh, we get stones. We get stones in the... Sometimes they even get through the roasting process. Uh, hopefully they never get to the grinder. Uh, I have seen jewelry. John, have you seen anything else? Nails and bullet casings, but yeah, lots of rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then it is a coffee that cups, and we'll talk about cupping in a future episode. That is a way that we taste and quantify coffee. It cups at, depending on what definition you're using, anywhere from 80 to 83. I've seen 80, I've seen 82. I was talking to John before the show, and he's seen 83 as well. So those are things that we look at. Ken, when you're talking about a full black or a sour, defects in, in coffee, one bean can destroy a cup or a decanter or pot of coffee. Uh, and that's why it that's why it matters. It can it can destroy <laughs> so that's why we look at that, put that effort into developing those skills. And it's why we pay more. Because in order to get coffee with zero defects, it's a it's so much work on the part of the of the farmers, of the um, it starts with the pickers, because uh, it, in a lot of places still, but uh, not in especially coffee, but uh, pickers would go and they they'd strip the whole branch of all of the cherries whether they were green and astringent and tart or if they were ripe or if they were overripe and cuz they were just getting paid for for volume and and weight so when people are getting paid for coffee not just on on the weight but on the quality of that that weight um it changes the calculation for them um and we're able to say to to pay a higher premium because we can also charge more for that coffee uh, because a, a customer is going to taste that coffee and immediately say, this is so delicious. I don't ever want to hear anybody talk about putting milk or sugar in my cup of coffee here, right? They, 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 you have some kind of experience with that coffee, whether it's the comfort of a Central American or the adventure of a Indonesian or East African. Those things come out when you have coffee that's expertly picked and expertly processed and uh, and roasted. I got a little passionate there, didn't I? No, that's good. I love it. You know, one thing I was thinking about while you were talking, and I, I agree with all of that, and, well, two things I was thinking about. One is I had a cup of coffee today that was a Colombian single origin that it's just it's a good it's a good cup mm -hmm. and and you you know you know me like I'm I'm pretty ticky when it comes yeah. to uh, uh, cup quality and roast quality and stuff like that and it was it was really good and um, my daughter also took a sip and this is this is one of my favorite things in coffee is that spontaneous literal somebody saying and she said this today oh. 
I could drink this black. Exactly, exactly. When Linnell and I were learning how to roast, we had a, a one-pound sample roast, a San Franciscan sample roaster, and we had it in the kitchen. We'd roll it out on the back patio, and, and we would roast. We would order uh, uh, you know, small bags from uh, Sweet Maria's in Oakland, and we were just practicing and practicing. And we brewed some from for her mother, and her mother was used to drinking... Maxwell House and cre- what the cre- dairy, uh, the powdered creamer in it. Yeah. And when she would drink the coffee that we roasted, and she said, "Ah, this is really," she said, "She said this is delicious, and I don't want to put milk or you know whatever creamer or anything in it." We knew we were doing, <laughs> we were we were making progress. We knew we were heading in the right direction, and it was starting to show up in our work. So she's somebody that was always in my mind whenever. I was roasting as I would think about a few people in mind as I was roasting, like I, I, I was, I'm roasting for them. So that coffee, they're going to get to enjoy that and they're going to pass judgment on that. So she was one of those people. Absolutely. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Do you own a coffee shop or any other kind of business where your employees or even your customers need to know more about coffee? Send them to Coffee 101 brought to you by Humble Coffee. Let us do the teaching so that you can get back to running your business. All right, one last thing, John, before I let you go. I was thinking about the land and that it's not just when we're talking about specialty coffee and what that definition means. It's not just the farmer all the way to the barista or consumer, depending on how far we take that. But we're also talking about a care, a consideration for the sustainability of the land itself. Do you want to talk on that a little bit? Yeah, it's um, that's something we're getting to learn firsthand in, in, in our farm in, in Panama. Uh, we don't use chemical inputs. Uh, mm-hmm. We use... Um, things like carbonized rice uh, and we'll use biological inputs but uh, we're not spraying um, we don't um, we don't use herbicides to to clear out the the space between the trees and um, that's really important to all of us uh, it affects because our property is bordered by two rivers and um it, it it would just go right into those rivers and downstream. And it's also going to affect the people who work on the farm, the crew that works on the farm. So I think about specialty coffee in that way of, you know, you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. You're thinking about the other person, that it's not just something you box up and send off that you it, it, it takes, you have to think about, all the hundreds of hands that that touch that. So the soil is is where that starts, and also that soil is those nutrients or not that are going to get into that cherry and into that that coffee. You can see trees that are happy <laughs> when they've um, been been raised without chemicals and uh, herbicides, and um, the flourish. It's more challenging. You have you have to come up with more resourceful ways to handle the pests and the fungus and the <laughs> I'm going to do a blog about there are just so many factors of, of from the weather and the fungus and the 
different things that just destroy your your beautiful leaves and trees and cherries uh, and insects. You got to be resourceful and figure out and and share information with other people in other parts of the world about what they've used. If they use some garlic spray to prevent or or the coffee berry bore or or what have you. So, and and it's a it's a constant learning experience. Which, as a side note, I just learned the other day, the coffee berry borer doesn't care about caffeine. Like, they're not deterred from the caffeine. Because we talk about caffeine as a natural insecticide, and I thought that that was uh, neat. So, you're right. Sustainability is definitely important. And ultimately, it means you may, one-on-oneers, you may pay more for a cup of specialty coffee but it's because you believe in what we're talking about here all the way from not having the herbicides and insecticides and taking care of the land all the way to your cup quality and all of the hands that went in between. Going back to the definition of specialty coffee, I think it's important to consider the relationship between the sustainability side of it and the cup quality side of it. If if all we were doing was making sure that coffee was sustainably produced socially and ecologically, that's not going to move the hand of the market. A customer is not going to say, oh, I'm going to pay more money for this coffee that's, that you put a lot of work into, but it tastes terrible. It's hard. You'd be hard-pressed to do that. So the cup quality is so important to that. And this comes about because coffee largely has been built on uh, colonial economies and on enslaved labor. And the only way to move it out of that is pay people for their work and pay them for the labor that goes into making a better cup of coffee. So for us, we might look at a, co- a bag of coffee and say, wow, that's more expensive than what I drank or my grandparents drank. But coffee's not 10 cents a cup either anymore. And for us as consumers, it really comes down to pennies a cup. And this is something that we learned from Terry and Melissa Scholl, who started uh, um, Lexington Coffee Roasters. They are roasters for 18 years. Their son took it over, and it's now called Roadmap Coffee Roasters. But they taught us about specialty coffee, about fair coffee and, and coffee that's delicious, uh, and that it's not mutually exclusive. And um, But those are the the motives and then you have to produce in the cup so that it's it's amazing and then when you think about that amazing experience with specialty coffee i wanted to talk about this one thing that i heard wilford lamasta say a couple years ago we were in panama it was our last trip before the pandemic and he was the first person i heard use the term super specialty coffee and this is in reference to um coffees that are like geisha varieties of coffee, uh, experimental varieties of coffee, and then those coffees that are they're sustainably produced, but um, there's this extra effort into that that goes into them that involves um, experimentation with fermenting processes, drying processes, using different kinds of yeast to amplify inherent flavors in those coffees. And uh, special, I, I like to refer to specialty coffee as fine wines, um, and and it's something you go. That's not rot gut. That's not t- 
to like Chuck or whatever, uh, you know, uh, or Good Time Wine. That that's that's something that's memorable. Super specialty coffees are ones that are transcendent. They are in the realm of of very fine wines of Grand Cru. I don't know all the names of the top wines, but it's another level of specialty coffee. And people will pay hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars for a bottle of wine that's gone in two hours. And so, what are we willing to pay for a bag of coffee that's going to last us for two weeks? So, you know, every morning or every afternoon. So that's something else that I wanted to share is just that term of super specialty and showing that there's more to specialty coffee. There's more to discover and learn and, and create out of it. So John, the two things that I would say that you're talking about there, one is you can't have this, Oh, everything's sustainable and look at it. And this is great. And the cup tastes terrible and expect people to pay for it. And the other thing that we're, we're also saying in that with specialty coffee is that we want the cup to taste great, but in that we also have the expectation that there will be a sustainability with everybody in the chain and also the land itself and the bean itself. And the second thing, John, that you were talking about, which I think is pretty fascinating, is looking at coffee as wine and we're talking about this in the setting of specialty coffee itself i have always said that coffee will get to the point that people talk about it like wine you and i talk about aroma fragrance flavor notes uh just like tasting notes with wine and I do think you are correct. I've never heard anybody quite say it as super specialty coffee, but I agree with you in that there are great wines. And there, then there are those like vintage, like, you know, this year was phenomenal in this valley and blah, blah, blah. And we've seen that with like, depending on how you pronounce it, people do it differently. Geisha or Geshas that originally came out of Panama but we've also seen that more recently with, as John was talking about, different processing methods uh, that kind of bring out some really interesting flavors in coffee. So there's all kinds of uh, fun stuff in specialty coffee. Well, the geishas in Panama came, uh, they came to Panama from uh, Costa Rica, from the Coffee Institute there. And they got it from Kenya, and it originally came from western part of, of Ethiopia, where there are just who knows how many uh, hundreds of varieties that are yet to be discovered. That's where all of the genetic diversity and genetic data bank of, uh, of coffee resides. Um, so, so it's cool to see a coffee like that that's made its way around the world and see how different terroirs and um, different um, processing methods and farming methods bring out different features that are, that are quite subtle for, for these coffees. Um, and I wanted to go back to one more thing about specialty coffee as far as sustainability. I was reminded that um, we'll see things like certifications, organic, fair trade, rainforest, among others. There are a lot of farmers who can't pay for 
certifications and they can't pay for chemicals a lot of the times. And And that's right. They might be what we would call organic, but they might not have the certification, whatever that certification is, because like you just said, they can't afford the chemicals. They can't afford the chemicals. They can't afford to adhere to some of the regulations in order to be able to function as a, as a farm. Um, sometimes a farm will have an existential crisis. There'll be uh, some kind of, um, whether it's a leaf rust or, or some kind of fungus that goes through, and in order for a farmer to protect his livelihood, he'll have to apply some chemicals. So I always take that into account. And then I think about William Gibson saying the future is here, it's just unevenly distributed, and so is sustainability. And one, it's not going to be uniform across the board what each farmer can do. Some of them are, are able to work on certain things in their farm at a time. So I think it's important to honor uh, those farmers who are making those efforts. Linnell calls that type of organic uh, passive organic. So when we are looking for farmers uh, and coffees, it's not always so important. It's important to see, to have certifications, but we also look for farmers and producers who are making these efforts. Um, and, and the ways we do that, we will either visit farms or we're having conversations with them. We're meeting them at conferences, but we've been meeting a lot of people <laughs> through social media the last two years. But developing those relationships and understanding where they're coming from and their motives and then being able to to see that over time with them. Um, that's the kind of commitment that, that it takes from all of us in, 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 in this industry. So, John, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Just enjoyed talking with you today and seeing you. Well, before we go, I do want to brag on you and Mudhouse Coffee Roasters a little bit. So, in 2017, y'all were coffee roaster of the year through roast magazine and why was that just a little just a kind of a little snippet because it's not just some random you know they just pick it no it's a pretty rigorous uh it's a quite rigorous competition and we had entered into it a a few years and uh um it's based on your cup scores on, on roasting different types of coffee and presenting those. And it's based on your practices as a company, uh, and your efforts within the uh, specialty coffee community. So it, it was a huge award is a pinnacle. Uh, so, um, yeah, we were quite honored and, and to have it by peers like that was, you know, means the world to us. And I have roasted, uh, in competition against some of your, roasters and they're phenomenal roasters so all our one-on-oneers out there we'll put a link in the show notes but basically you can follow mudhouse coffee roasters on uh social media and go to their website Uh, i can assure you that if you order coffee off of there uh, you're going to get a good specialty bag of coffee and if you're in charlottesville virginia then stop by they have several locations and do you have any other locations? We are. We're, well, not yet. We're opening this year in Charleston, South Carolina on King Street and, uh, and then in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, a lot of work on the table. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, like I said, it was great to have John on the show today. This is Coffee 101, 
I'm Kenneth Thomas and was joined today by John Lawrence of Mudhouse Coffee Roasters. If you haven't already subscribed to our show, please write us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Leave in the comment section anything you would like for us to talk about in the future. You can follow us on social. Just look up Humble Coffee. Looking for great coffee? Go to humblecoffee.com or click on the link in the show notes below. We'll catch all you 101ers next time on Coffee 101.